Oh, you can have that one. Right, yeah. you're on green. Great. So lovely um, to be here tonight. And um, as Sam and I walked in, they were just met by warmth and smiley faces and people praying for us. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is good. Um, I left home this morning. Um, I have three beautiful daughters. Um, Rosie is age nine. Tamar is seven. And Annie um, is four. And, uh, and, uh, and I told my middle one that I was coming to speak tonight. I said, I'm a bit scared. And she looked up, she went, Mom, perfect love drives out fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was right. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm a, I'm a mum. I'm passionate about homemaking. Um, I, you know, so I might be a GP and do those other things, but actually my, my main passion in my life is, is about home. And, um, and I really believe that actually um, for a nation to thrive, uh, we need to be good homemakers and we need to have places, safe places, where our children can grow up and their friends can come and find home. Um, and I'm a real um, passionate about experiencing God in my own home, you know, in the everyday, in the washing up and the changing of nappies and all those things that we get up to as mums and women. Um, I'm also really passionate about um, uh, seeing uh, God touch broken places and bringing healing. So we work on a very, well, we live um, on a very challenging estate with a lot of um, deprivation problems, but I call it my promised land. And I do believe like the gospel can reach anybody and there is not a life that is too broken, too dark, too messed up, that God cannot come and bring wholeness and healing and lead people into potential and into their potential. And so we, I work on the estate as a GP. We live there. We sold our beautiful um, house in the suburbs, my Victorian house with its wisteria climbing up it. And we live in just a normal ex-council house. My kids go to the local school. And we seek to just love and be the light of Christ in that community and part of that has been establishing prayer um, as the bedrock and we believe prayer is about encounter you know prayer is about encountering God and abiding in him and um, what I hoped to do with you today um, is go on a bit of a journey together around having our own encounter tonight with God um, when I prepared on Friday, I said, Father, if there is one thing that I would ask is that every single woman in the room would leave and said, I heard the Father speak to me tonight. And so um, I know previously you kind of had somebody speak for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then you have this wonderful prayer team that come and there's time for prayer, but I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I hope that doesn't upset you. Um, and we're going to go on a bit of a journey. I will speak about some things. We will practice it and have a go. And, um, and then I'll speak a little bit more and we will pause and reflect and hear what God is saying to us to you, to me. Um, and then there's some room at the end just to see where we go with that. Is that okay? Are you going to come with me? <laughs> what I do need is just the only thing you really need beside a willing heart and to just trust me um, is a pencil and paper. Did we have available? Okay. 
Okay, so just having that handy. Yeah, there's a green paper. The team gave out a bit of green paper and yeah, and there's pens. So close. Is that better? Good. Apparently I was a bit fuzzy. Is that better? Yeah? Okay. If I'm getting fuzzy, just tell me. I'll cut the fuzz. Drop the microphone. <laughs> Great. Um, one of the first things I wanted to teach into is a practice that um, I've practiced over the last few years that I found really, really helpful. I find it really helpful just in my own walk with God. I also find it a really helpful tool in my parenting. Have I got any other mums out there with younger children? Sort of, any mums? Okay. Any mums still doing nappies? Oh, no. Oh, one or two. Okay, great. Um, so this is a practice that I, I just want to teach and have a go with you. And it's called the examine. Maybe some of you are familiar with it and you use it in your own spiritual walk. And, um, uh, but it may be new to some of you. It comes um, from, it's an Ignatian spiritual practice from the Jesuits. Um, and it's been practiced for centuries. And really what the examine about is about is about helping you catch up with yourself. And um, one of the things that I believe that actually we can all hear God, but often we just don't stop to listen. And what the examine can do, it just helps us catch up with ourselves. And while we might have quiet on the outside, often we're quite busy on the inside, aren't we? And, and to actually let our mind settle, it just takes a bit of a process to stop and to pause. And you've all come from your busy lives today. And, you know, maybe there's some pain in your heart. Maybe there's an unresolved argument. Maybe everything's been great, but it's been busy. And I just want to take this first opportunity to lead us to a place of being able just to put that down for a moment. You see, God is spirit, and we, you know, as a doctor, I say this, as a Christian, I say this, I believe that we are spirit and we are body and we are soul. And the thing is about the spirit, it's a bit like the wind. You know, you, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it goes. You can't really pin it down and you can't hold on to it. But you feel it in your face and you see it in the trees and you hear it. And like God's spirit in us speaks through our senses it speaks through our emotions he speaks it sorry lord he speaks through our emotions through our thoughts and our imagination and through um, a sense or a smell sometimes and one of the things about just having that spiritual encounter in the everyday is actually paying to attention of what is going on in us and so the examine is just to help us catch up in this moment. And I'm going to go through it with you. It's really, really simple. It looks at two things. I'm going to use the old-fashioned words first, but don't switch off because I'm going to use the easy words afterwards. The old-fashioned words are, what has consoled me today? And what has desolated me today? So what has consoled me? When I do this with my kids, I talk about, what are the highs and what are the lows of your day? And um, so consolation, when you look through your day, it's the things that have just brought you delight. 
And it can be the simplest things. I have, you know, I have some great tits at the moment on my tree that come and feed. And I, in the morning, I just take a moment and it, and it just brings that joy. And I sit and literally just want you to go through your day in a moment, just acknowledging just those moments. You know, seeing my mum and having a cuddle, having a coffee and uh, lunch with my friend here, and all the little bits in between, and just taking a moment to walk through it. And then I just have a little list, the high and the low, and just some of the highs, and then I allow it to give me an opportunity to go, thank you, no, thank you, thank you, Father. And then also on that list, I talk about what desolates us. That's quite a strong word, desolation. But it's those low moments. It's those painful moments. It's the... And I think it's really, really important, as a medical doctor, I stand here and say this, but as a Christian, that we do not numb our pain. And that actually, that we can bring those moments under the loving, unswerving gaze of our Father. And we can say, that hurt, or I was wrong, or I shouldn't have done that. And it just takes a moment just to go through it. It's almost in the acknowledging of it. It doesn't then fester, and it brings it to the surface. And maybe for some of you, you need to sort of come back to that later in the day. Of Actually, I need to go and apologize about that, or actually, I need to change that. But it's just a moment to help us get present. Because God is present with us. And the only time that we can experience God is now. It's in the now. It's fascinating in the Old Testament, he introduces himself first of all as I am. So God isn't in the future, but I'm sure he is. But he is present with us now. We can only experience him in this moment. And if our minds are in the future about what I need to do tomorrow or in regret about what is in the past, we are not present. And we have to be present in order to be able to experience God. So I want to take a moment to invite you to do the examine with me just for two or three minutes to just sit and ask yourself, what were the highs today? Just take a moment, jot a few words a moment of thanks, and then be brave just to acknowledge maybe those disappointments or the pain of today. And then I'll move on. Many of my patients, I see a lot of patients with mental health problems and anxiety and depression, and I teach them the examine. Um, I know a great um, child psychiatrist, and he said if only parents would sit at the end of the bed and ask their child every day how their day was and what the highs and the lows were, he reckons 70% of his workload would be reduced. And we get to do that with the father. And, um, and he cares about our mental and our emotional health. And I encourage you to take that away as a tool. You know, go to bed. There's a wonderful um, book by Lynn, Lynn and Lynn called Going to Bed, Sleeping with Bread. And it's all about the examine um, and how we can use it in our life to keep in touch and stay present. So I encourage you in that. The next little bit I want to talk about is um, uh, in Matthew 13, verse 45. Um, it talks about the kingdom of heaven. 
is like a man looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one that is unusually fine, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that pearl. Now, we can put up my first slide. When I was about 33, my um, youngest child was um, about two, and um, I came across this very, it's very battered now, it's a family heirloom, it's got my children's scribbles on it, and it's Mike Inkpen, have you heard of Mike Inkpen? I mean, he's just wonderful um, writer, capturing the scriptures for our children, and, um, and he tells this story of this merchant, this is actually the end of the story, but there's this very rich merchant, and, he, and his favourite hat is this blue hat with this big feather on and and it's got this story of he had these all of these houses and swimming pools and refrigerators with food and everything he was just very very wealthy and um, and he came across this pearl that he wanted and he realized it was going to cost him everything and uh, he went away and there was garage sales selling his food and his refrigerators and everything. And, and then there's this lovely bit where he piles all the money he's got into the wheelbarrow and he goes down to buy this pearl. And the only thing he hasn't sold is his hat with his big feather on. And when he gets and counts out the money, he's short by a little bit. And, uh, and the guy who's selling the pearl says, well, I'll take your hat and then you can have it. And it's all he's got left. And he hands over this hat and he takes this pearl. And this is the finishing picture of the merchant. And, um, and I used to read this to my children. And it used to really bother me. Because I used to look at him so joyful having possessed that pearl and I had come to realize at the age of 33 having got saved at 18 got healed from anorexia and bulimia having married and have a lovely husband having been on the mission field having worked through a genocide having seen God do miraculous things out in Africa having seen him provide again and again and again at 33 I suddenly realized that that wasn't my testimony. I had seen God, and I loved him, and I followed him. But that joy of skipping down the road with nothing, but he had the one thing that made him happy. And I started a journey when I was about 33 of going, I I want that. I want that. Now I knew where to look. He has the words of eternal life. Where else do we go? But that was yet to be my experience. And I wanted to share some of that journey, some of the things that I think keep us from entering into that fullness of life. And I say it's a process. It's not you're going to wake up in the morning and you've got it. It is a process of growing into and becoming wholehearted and taking possession of all that he has for you. But I there are things that in our journey, they are barriers to us possessing those things. And I wanted to draw out of my own story today in the hope that maybe my story can help your story. And maybe you do feel like that merchant, but there's always that invitation to go deeper, to have greater joy, and to experience and know the love of God to a greater depth. So, 
Yeah. So could you put that next slide up? Great. So I'm going to share a little bit about my journey. Um, one of the things I've loved over the last five years is um, Sam and I come from a very charismatic church. Um, they're great and full and lots of noise and wonderful. And, um, but about five years ago, I discovered the more contemplative ways of prayer. And over the last five years, I go to a place called St. Binos. Did anybody watch the big, the big silence about four years ago? There's a few nods here. Yeah. And um, St. Binos is a wonderful Jesuit re- retreat center, and they do silent retreats. And every year, I, I and my husband, we facilitate for both of us to go for five to seven days of silence. And you go, and yes, you don't speak, um, and there'll be a group of you there. And it's the most beautiful setting. It's in North Wales, beautiful buildings, really creative prayer rooms and chapels and an art room. And um, each day you meet with a spiritual director and they just help you through that process of hearing God in the silence. And the two sort of um, slides I'm going to show you and the things I'm going to reflect on are from those times. And the first one um, is this window. I'm going to tell you a little story about it. And they have a beautiful little rock chapel. It cannot be much bigger than this stage, maybe even smaller. And when you go in, there's seven very thin little windows. Um, One right in the centre, and as you go, there's three on either side. And the windows are fairly new um, to to it. The windows have been there about three years. And so it's a very sort of new artist that has done it. And each window is a colour. And um, they've got a purple and a red and a blue and the green's in the centre. A yellow and an orange. And I can't remember the other one. Um, And as I read the story of what what the artist was expressing, the different colours express different seasons of her life, different aspects of her character. So the purple and the brownie one was about her depression and her, her struggles and the blue was about the refreshing times the red was the fiery anger and the passion you know the yellow was um, you know the happy and the joyful times and um, and it went on and uh, I, and I when I was in there I felt the Lord say uh, I want you to meditate on the orange window and I was like, oh, no, that's not me. Like, I've had my struggles with the... I could do the purple, you know, deep, and I could do the red, passionate, and, and I quite fancy the green, harmonious one. But orange, really? So I sat, and I just sat at this window. But as I meditated upon it, I realised it, it wasn't just orange. When you go in, you think it's orange, but it's made up of many parts. And, and actually, there's this deep brown centre of kind of pain and these arms reaching out out of the brokenness and this flash of red and and then there is the beautiful sort of oranges and yellows and then this stream you don't don't get the blue but there's a stream of blue coming through it about refreshment and I'm there noticing this and in it the Lord spoke to me he said I celebrate the whole of you I celebrate the whole of you. And you see, I don't know about you, but when we grow up, the good girl is acceptable and the bad girl isn't. And in our need to connect with people, we stop doing the things that upset people and we hide it. We become very good at hiding it because we want to connect. 
But we bring that into our relationship with Jesus. And we present the good. We think it's okay to have the happy and the joyful, but the angry and the depressed and the struggle, we hide. And as I just pause there, I want to go back to another bit of my story. I had a difficult um, first birth with my first child. We were in Uganda. Um, my poor mum had all these texts of, oh, 30 weeks, three months early, is she coming? I went into premature labour. Got flown to Kenya because Uganda, there's only a 50% chance she would live because there were no neonatal facilities. I had a difficult delivery. Um, and after that... Um, really struggled with postnatal depression. Depression's a really weird thing because when you're in it, you completely reinterpret your past. You think you've always been depressed. And actually you think everybody thinks you're depressed. And you, do, you talk yourself into some awful things. You know, I, I despaired of my own life. I talked myself into the fact that my children would be better without me. And it was a difficult season. And in Uganda, I had a wonderful community of people around me. And I learned in that time to let them carry my brokenness and my broken heart. And I got through it. And then I had Tamar, my second child, when Rosie was about 18 months old. And it was all right. I was at home with my mum this time, and, um, but flew back to Uganda when she was about six weeks old. And, uh, and then when Tamar was about six months later, I thought I was doing all right, but we moved house twice, we moved country. My husband took a job in London and was away from home three or four nights a week. And I hit the darkest time of my life. And it was really hard. And I would dread getting up. And I would dread my days. But I was determined in it to find God in the darkness and in the hidden places, to find the treasures that he had for me. And as I push through, I want to bring to you two memories. I remember going to a meeting where there was this lovely guy. He'd got this amazing testimony about healing. And um, he was lovely. And he was a lovely fatherly chap. And... Um, and it was great. And at the end, there was time for ministry and people were going up. And it was one of those meetings where, like, I don't shake and fall down in the spirit. It's just never been me. But things were going on. And people were really being touched by God. And um, he was giving some amazing words. And I got to the front of the prayer line and uh, just waiting for that moment because I was so desperate and things were so difficult. And, uh, and he leaned forward and he took my face in his hands and he whispered he loves you he loves you and I smiled sweetly and inside I raged I did not care I didn't want to know that he loved me I just wanted to feel better and I was so angry with God that he would leave me this way and so I smiled sweetly and nodded my head, but left in a rage. 
And in that same season, I had a time where my husband was away and the kids were in bed and the toys were all over the place and the dinner was still on the table. And I don't throw things and I don't swear. (laughs) But that day, I began to throw things. And I had this moment in my life where I was throwing toys across the playroom and I was swearing at God. And I was telling him how much I hated him for letting me feel this way and not being here in my darkness. And as I finished, I was exhausted from the rage and I was on my hands and knees. And he whispered to me, even though you hate me, I will never, never stop loving you. And something happened in my life in that season where I never question now the love of God because even when I had nothing to give and I thought I had no value, he would not stop loving me. And you see, this stand's made of metal, isn't it, or something? Its nature, its fabric is metal. And I can shout at it and hit it I can sing and dance, I can despise it, and I can turn my back. But its nature does not change. And I think one of the things that stops us from entering into the fullness of God is we think that he only loves us when we are good girls and when we got it right and when we've got it all together. And there needs to be a shift in our thinking of understanding that whatever I do, however I behave, he will not stop loving you. You are loved. So coming back to this, I say to you, he celebrates the whole of who you are. He celebrates the whole of who you are and that you are loved. And I wanted to share a mantra that I have. I'm really practical. I like things to be practical, you know. It's got to work tomorrow. It's all right now. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scripture. Don't worry, it's not some weird mantra. So, yeah. <laughs> but I offer it to you for it to be your own. In the Song of Songs, it's a wonderful book. I recommend it to you. I don't think you can understand scripture until you're grappled with the Song of Songs. Um, But in the beginning, um, the beloved one, the one whom the king is pursuing, she has this moment where she says, I am dark, but I am beautiful. And I have this thing in my life when I want to withdraw when I want to hide, when I am ashamed of what I have done, I dare to stand under the loving gaze of my Father and say, I am dark, but I am beautiful. And I bring the whole of who I am with all its brokenness and all its grandeur. And I allow the love of God to change me from the inside out. And to be really practical, I did this yesterday morning. One of my challenges at the moment is getting out of the house with three children without losing the plot. (laughs) 
So my eldest daughter, Rosie, is a dreamer. She goes upstairs. I go upstairs 20 minutes later. She's still in her pyjamas. She is wandering around, and her teddy is talking to the other teddy, and they're planning what they're going to do when they come home from school. My second daughter is a tornado. You never know how she's going to get out of bed. But when she gets out, it is with passion and vigour, whether it is with joy or with disgruntled annoyance that I've woken her up. My third daughter likes to cling to my leg the whole time and beg me not to go to school because she just wants to be with me, because she loves me. (laughs) And in the midst of that, sometimes I get angry. (laughs) And I shout so that we can get out of the door. And every time I come home after school and I sense something come upon me when I've lost the plot. We all do, don't we? And that could be shame or conviction. Let me say something briefly. Shame is about who we are, where conviction is about what we have done. Mums, when you discipline your children, never say you are a naughty child. That is who she is, and she cannot change who she is. But say what you have done is a naughty thing. She can change that. She can change what she does. And we have no room for shame in our life. We do not have to be shamed about who we are. There might need to be some conviction about some things we do, but we can work on that with the Holy Spirit. And so literally sometimes it's a 30 seconds or a 30 minutes having shouted at the kids where I pause and I say, Lord, I am dark, but I am beautiful. I am dark, but I am beautiful. And you are for me and you love me and I will not hide from you. I bring the whole of who I am, the whole of who I am. I will not let shame veil me from your presence today. And I pause in the pain. Don't numb your pain. If you numb your pain, you numb your joy. Stand and embrace your pain in front of the Father, and he will bring his peace to you. If you hide it, he cannot heal it. So we're going to take a moment... Leaving that picture up, I want you to say to yourself, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. I am celebrated. I am celebrated. He celebrates me, even with all my funny ways and my brokenness and my rage. He celebrates me. I'm just going to take a moment just to go deeper with that. this moment I just speak over you that you are loved and that you are chosen that God is with you and for you that he is your champion you are not alone you are not alone When he made you, and you are not forgotten. And what 
what he has begun in you, he will complete. Not you. He will complete. And I'm more striving. Lean into him. He is your present one. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are enough. Be free to enjoy yourself and how he has made you. Rest. You are enough. You are enough. And it is okay. Just kind of put another slide up. Tell another story. Such a lovely presence in this place. It's lovely. <laughs> can always tell when a place has been prayed in. Um, this is a really special sculpture to me Um, this was one of my first times that I went to St Bino's and uh, this sculpture was just in the corridor and I used to uh, walk past it and every time I walked past it I got a little butterfly feeling like in my tummy and um, didn't really get it and I spoke one morning to my spiritual director and I went, every time I go past that sculpture, I get like a little butterfly feeling and, and she went, oh God probably wants to talk to you through it why don't you go and sit and see what he wants to say, and I was like oh, can you do that, is that alright and um, she was like yeah, just, just go and sit with it and, and, um, and that was new to me you know I kind of thought the Lord spoke to us through our Bible study, and he does through our Bible. But he also just speaks through everything if we have eyes to see, if we will stop and listen. In our everyday, in our our everyday moments, through the arts, through creation, through a film, if you'll have an open heart, what are you saying, Father? In the everyday, which is really reassuring given that two-thirds of the population of the world are illiterate, so that he speaks... Um, and uh, so I went and I sat and started looking at this lovely sculpture of this woman holding up a child. And, um, but after a while, the feelings were so overwhelming of this, this thing going on in me. I, could, I couldn't sit there any longer. And so I kind of went off into the Welsh hills for a good old stomp going, what is that about? Because I had no idea, I just knew something was going on in me. And the thing is, like, with the birth of my first child, it was difficult. I'll tell you a little bit more about it. And um, so she tried to come at 31 weeks, and we had to get flown to Kenya. And then I was all right if I lay flat on my back. If I moved, I started contracting again. But after about 35 weeks, I was so bored out of my brain that I got on a flight back to Uganda to be with my husband. 
And, um, and sure enough, four days later, I went into labour again. And after about 72 hours of labour at home, because trust me, it was the best place to have her, um, she got stuck. And I had to get in the back of a pickup in labour, um, go down a potholy road in Africa to the local hospital. And um, they wheeled me into A&E, which was abysmal, because um, they'd taken me to the wrong place, and then wheeled me up to the obstetrics place. I had a beautiful obstetrician, lovely Ugandan guy who was in country. And we decided, given that we couldn't monitor the baby, that it was probably best to just go for a section. And given the anaesthetist hadn't done a spinal in years, it was probably best to just to have a general anaesthetic. And, um, and I went into the operating theatre alone because I was having a general. They don't let relatives come in. And it was a terrifying experience for me. They, they tied my arms down. They stripped me naked. And every time I had a contraction and moved, they smacked me and told me to lie still. And there were seven guys I didn't know who they were all standing around my bed. And I had the most terrifying moment of my life and, um, and was left really traumatised from that. I had a beautiful baby girl. Um, and the next day, I self-discharged from the hospital because in the middle of the night, my husband came to me and went, they put her in an incubator. There's no staff. And then there's nothing to monitor her. What do you think I should do? And I was like, well, is she breathing? Well, I think so. I was like, oh, well, just bring her to me. I don't know. So we self-discharged the next day. My lovely mum was in New Zealand, so I didn't have my family. And um, my husband went to work the next day. And, uh, and hence, I, I had a difficult time. <laughs> Um, with postnatal depression. And when I was walking in the Welsh hills, the thing that got me about this was she was marvelling at her child and I felt I had been robbed of ever marvelling at my first daughter because it was so engulfed in darkness and depression. And in that walk... I don't know where they came from, just memories. The Lord started to speak to me, reminding me of moments with her. And I felt he took me back and he let me marvel at my child again. And it brought great healing to me um, and really healed a wound in my heart that I was carrying. And so I went back the next day and I spoke to my spiritual director and I was full of it. Oh, Lord's done this. And, and told her my story. And she goes, oh, do you want to meet the sculptor? He, he lives down the road. And um, he's 80 years old. He, only, he was a Jesuit priest. He, he only um, started sculpting 10 years ago. I'm sure he'd love to hear your story, Sally. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go and meet him. And so went and he's this rickety old man he's got a tinnitus and he kept losing his balance and and uh, and and makes these beautiful sculptures they were everywhere and uh i and i and i blurted out my birth story to this poor old 80 year old priest i'm sure he's heard it all before in my desire to thank him of the healing it brought and um and he was lovely and gracious and grace-filled and nodded and made me tea. And, and, uh, and when I came to leave, he went, the thing is, Sally, it's not a mother holding her child. <laughs> <laughs> I 
When I made that, the scripture, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, was in my spirit. He said, it is God holding you. And I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. It was just like, and I went away to my secret little rock chapel, overwhelmed by this revelation. And in that moment, as I was marveling on it, in my imagination, I was taken to this place where, almost like at the beginning, and I could see a figure of a man hunched over. I knew I was sort of in heaven in my imagination. Hunched over furiously at work, intent on making um, what he was making. And I, and I sensed like the whole of heaven were like holding their breath to see what was going to come out next. And as I watched, the figure sort of stood back and there was woman. There was woman. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. As a doctor and as a scientist, I marvel I marvel at the utter genius of our God, of how we are made. It is no mistake. It is put together by a genius. And we are the pinnacle of his creation. And in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was made by him and that I had value And I say over you, you're just incredible. You have no idea the utter genius of how you're put together. You have no room for shame. Your brain can store 10 million years worth of information. So if you've fallen asleep, wake up. You can take a bit more on. And I want to just take a moment to sit in that. Because some of you need to hear. You're amazing. Amazingly made. And you have not got to hide anything. You are so unique. And what the world needs is you. Wholehearted. Out there. In your workplace. With your children on the street, in the supermarket, being wholeheartedly you. You are the gift. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And you are to put the whole of you without shame. It might be dark, but you are beautiful. You are beautiful. And we need to be courageous to know that. And not to be ashamed of how he has made us. You are the gift to the world. And I just take a moment because I just want to stop again. I, I, want, I want you to have your moment. I want you to take just a moment. And if you can in your imagination, you'd be that child. Held in your father's arms as he marvels. Because that's how it is. And just 
in that hidden place and in that secret place within you, hold that thought. And we'll just let the Father to speak to you that little bit deeper before I do one final thing and we will wrap up for tonight. Have a little bit of music. Um, Anne and the wonderful team here have some gifts um, for when you go home. Um, it's a little bag of beautiful jewels. Um, and, um, and there's got a wonderful verse in there from Isaiah 45, verse 3. It says, I have given you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places. Sorry, popping. And um, we want you to take it home. And this week, get them out and have a look. Because God wants to meet with you today in this present moment. But tomorrow he'll be present too. And just popping that picture of that pearl up. The man, the merchant, the first picture. Is that all right? Wonderful. You're great. Doing a great job. Do you know, one of the things um, that I've learned over the years is that we want the pearl and we go around thinking, oh, if I read this book or if I go to that conference or if I listen to that speaker or if I pray that certain way that I will possess it. And one of the greatest moments of my life is grappling. I love the Gospel of John, but in... In the Gospel of John, around 14, 15, 16, there's this beautiful moment where Jesus says that he comes to make his home in us. And actually the treasure, the possessing of, the finding God, often is found in us. It's connecting with God who is already in us. I mean, it really is good news you know, the God who flung the stars into space and the genius of what he has created and he clothed himself as a man so that we might know what he is like and then he comes to make home in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so I think all of our prayer is this week that you would take these away and... Consider what the treasures are. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that you would go on in your journey in God to discover deeper treasures. So I encourage you to take that home with you. Mm. Great. What, ten minutes? just going to take these last few moments just want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to speak, just want to pray over you just give you an opportunity to receive so just ask that you would either bow your head
helps any point to stand in response to anything I say as your moment with God, then I encourage you to, but just we'll spend these last few moments just pushing into what has been said. My heart is, I hope you've heard God tonight for yourself. So we invite you into this time now, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the time together. Thank you for these precious women created in your image, image bearers, presence carriers into their homes, into their families. I speak over them that they are precious. I speak over them that they are loved. I say again, you are loved and you are enough. And we throw off the garments of shame, the memories of the things that we have done, that we think disqualifies us from being able to stand fully wholehearted in your presence. Hidden dark secrets that bind us. sensing just in one or two women there's something that that you think disqualifies you the loss of a child the termination of a child say over you that shame has no place and he accepts the whole of who you are. 